We're going to talk about this morning one of probably everybody's least favorite people. We're going to talk this morning about a man named Judas Iscariot. You know, when you, every year, and I happen to be reading an article just recently, where, you know, the, the uh, Social Security Administration every year compiles lists of baby names. You know, when people apply for Social Security numbers for their, for their infants, and, and uh, they, they compile lists of the names that are popular at, at a particular time. The name Judas is never on that list. You never look at the list of most popular baby names and see Judas. Not only not anywhere near the top, but not anywhere on the list at all. It's just not a name that, that, that people ascribe to their children. And there's a reason for that, of course, because when we think of that name Judas, it, it brings one association to us. Judas the betrayer. Judas the man who identified Jesus to those who came to take him into custody and ultimately to take his life. But I want us to talk about Judas this morning. Go ahead, Jay, and put the first slide up there. I want us to talk about Judas this morning because the place of Judas in scripture is significant. And it's not just significant because he did this terrible thing that we all remember and that we all know. But it's significant for another reason that I want us to see as, as we go through this morning. We're going to start in Matthew the 26th chapter. This is a, a, an incident that is recorded for us a couple of times in the Gospels. But I want us to look first at Matthew's account. This is the very beginning of the week that would end with the crucifixion of Jesus. Matthew is recounting the last, the last days of Jesus' time on earth in this particular passage. And he writes, while Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, having looked at that account, I want us to go over to the book of John. Now, most of John's gospel, aside from the very first handful of chapters, most of John's gospel focuses on this particular week. 
If you've you've never paid attention to that, as you read the narrative of John's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke make an attempt in, in various ways to cover the entire life of Jesus, more particularly the the three plus years in which he was actively preaching and teaching. But John introduces that part, but then spends the most of his of his writing specifically on the last week of Jesus' ministry here on earth. And so John tells this same story, and he adds a couple of details that aren't in Matthew's account. So John, in the 12th chapter of his gospel, beginning in the first verse, writes this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, back in chapter 11. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Now we know, from having read Matthew's account, that this dinner takes place in the home of a man named Simon, whom... Matthew had referred to as Simon the leper, so we would presume that means that because people were eating in his house, he's not a leper anymore. Most likely because Jesus has healed him of his leprosy. And so when Jesus comes into town, Simon throws a dinner. And we find, as we read on, that Martha served. No surprise there, right? We know that Martha's main mission in life was to serve people. And so, when Simon has a dinner at his house, Martha comes over to help and to serve the people that are there. While Lazarus, John goes on to say, was among those reclining at the table with Jesus. Then Mary, now, John adds yet another detail. Matthew doesn't mention by name the woman who brought in the expensive perfume, but now... John tells us that woman was Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Mary, John says, took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume. But one of his disciples, now remember, Matthew, in telling, the, in telling the story, just said some among the disciples objected to this thing that Mary did. But John specifically tells us that the one leading that, that dispute was Judas Iscariot. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. So now Matthew had told us that, you know, there were there was some some opposition among Jesus' disciples to this idea that Mary would take this very expensive perfume and essentially waste it by pouring it on Jesus. But now, John tells us that the one who objected was Judas. And we might say, well, why didn't Matthew tell us that? Well, when we think about the way that Matthew's account is written beginning to end, Matthew is writing like a biographer. He's telling the story of Jesus' life. 
as are Mark and Luke in different ways. And so he's more concerned with telling the story as an event that happened in the life of Jesus. But John is writing about his friend. John is writing about the impending death of someone he loved. Remember that John, throughout his, throughout his gospel, when he refers to himself, what does he call himself? The disciple that Jesus loved. So John is not writing a biography. John wants us to see some very specific things that tell us, as he would say at the end of the book, that Jesus was the Son of God. That his friend, whom he loved, was the Son of God. And so this is a detail that is very important to John. John wants us to know who it was that called his friend out. Who it was that raised the objection to this thing being done for Jesus. So that we would know that the one who said, why is this perfume being wasted, is the one who would later betray Jesus. And John then goes on to say, that Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor. But because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now I remember many years ago when I was very young reading that and I would think, well if they knew Judas was stealing from the money bag, why'd they let him carry it? And of course, John here is adding a detail that he learned later and just inserting it in real time. Certainly at the time, Jesus' apostles were working together and had given Judas the job. They didn't know he was a thief. But certainly later on, they found out. And John again wants us to know that this person who called Jesus out for allowing this horrible waste to be directed at him called him out not because he really cared about money being given to the poor, but because he hoped that Mary would have sold that bottle of perfume brought the money to Jesus, and Jesus would have said, Judas, put this in the bag. And Judas would have put some of it in his pocket. John wants us to understand that that was Judas's motivation. And Jesus said, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Notice, Jesus, who knew all things, knew the heart of Judas. Unlike John, 
Jesus knew in real time that Judas was stealing out of the money bag. He had known that before Judas got the job. And he allowed him to have the job anyway. And even here, Jesus does not use this as a moment to call Judas out. It would have been a perfect time to say, Judas, you don't really care about the poor. You just want to have more money to steal. But he didn't do that. Rather, he focused on Mary's act. To say that here's a thing that she is doing because she is preparing me for my burial. You'll have plenty of opportunities to help the poor. But this is the only time Mary will have an opportunity to do this for me. Now we go back to Matthew's account and we notice the very next thing that happened. Going back to Matthew chapter 26, picking up at verse 14, we left off with Matthew at verse 13. This is the very next thing that happens in the story after this exchange between Jesus and Judas. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? And they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And notice the next sentence that Matthew writes. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. With 30 pieces of silver in his pocket, Judas waited for the moment where he could put Jesus in the hands of those who would take his life. And again, it's not insignificant that this happens right after that conversation at Simon's house where Mary has anointed Jesus with this expensive perfume that, that was worth a year's wages for a laborer. And Judas had loudly complained about the fact that this expensive perfume had been wasted rather than sold so that they could give the money to the poor. The very next thing that happens is that Judas goes to the chief priests and says, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? There is nothing in scripture that specifically tells us why Judas did what he did. There is not a single line of scripture that says, here's what was in Judas's head at the moment that he decided to betray Jesus. Now, we can speculate all we want, but we really don't know 
We really can't go inside his head. But we can make some inferences from what we are told. And what we're told is this. Judas's decision to go to the chief priests and ask for a bounty for the head of Jesus immediately follows this missed opportunity at this money that could have been gained by the selling of this expensive perfume. The very next thing that happens after that is that Judas seeks out the chief priest and says, what are you willing to give me? And we are told that the reason that Judas was so concerned about the waste of the perfume as he perceived it was because he stole from the money that he carried for Jesus and the apostles. He was the one to whom that amount of funds would have been committed had Mary done what he suggested, which was sell the perfume, bring the money to Jesus so that they could distribute the money to the poor. Judas would have had control of a year's wages if Mary had done that. And he missed that opportunity to profit from what could have been Mary's gift. And the very next thing that happens is Judas is in the high priest's office saying, well, you give me if I hand him over to you. John tells us later in the 13th chapter when Jesus is seated in an upper room with his apostles a few days later observing the Passover. Jesus tells them, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I've chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I say to you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. As he and these 12 men that he's chosen are observing the Passover together, Jesus says there's a passage of scripture that says, he who shared my bread has turned against me. And I'm telling you this, even though you don't know what I'm talking about, so that later on you'll think about it and say, he knew. He knew exactly what was coming. And he knew who was going to do it. And after he'd said this, 
Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And the next thing that John writes is telling. Because he says his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. Now remember earlier on when, when John told us the story about Mary, he'd said that Judas carried the money bag and he used to steal out of it. And it would be easy for us to think, well, if Judas was a thief, and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, that 11 heads would have turned and looked at Judas and said, it's going to be you, isn't it? But see, they didn't know at the time. They didn't know what Jesus knew. And that's why they look at each other, Who, who's going to do that? Which one of us, the 12 of us who've been together for three years, which of us would do something like that? Nobody thought it was going to be Judas. Nobody looked at Judas and said, yeah, I bet it's him. None of them. They had no idea. In fact, John goes on to say, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, again, referring to himself, was reclining next to Jesus, and Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. <laughs> Do we think Peter knew it was Judas? No. Do we think John knew at the time? Of course not. Because that conversation would have been different if they knew. Peter would have said to John, I bet it's Judas. And John would have said, I bet you're right. But that wasn't the conversation they had. Peter said to John, ask him who he means. And John, leaning back against Jesus, asked him, Lord, who is it? Because at that moment, what are Peter and John thinking? He thinks it's going to be me. <laughs> he thinks I'm going to do this terrible thing. Find out if he means me. Find out if I'm the one. Neither of them and none of the other nine looked at Judas and said, I bet it's him. Because they had no idea. But Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. And dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Je Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. And Jesus told him, What you're about to do, do quickly. And we read that, knowing what's coming, and think, didn't they hear what Jesus said? They still didn't know. 
They still had no idea. They thought Jesus was just passing the food out. Here, Judas, you get the next piece. They were still not looking at Judas thinking, oh, he's the one Jesus was just talking about. And when Judas gets up and Jesus says, what you got to do, you go do it quickly. They weren't thinking, oh, he's going to go betray Jesus now. Because if they thought that, they'd have jumped him before he got to the door. But because he had the money, they figured, well, he's probably got some business to take care of. Jesus knows what it is. And Jesus is telling them to go do that. But I want us to think about those words that John uses. Satan entered into him. You know, we might think from that, if we're not reading this with a clear head, that something terrible has now happened to Judas. He's now been possessed by the devil. And he is now going to go and do some things that he couldn't help because Satan has taken control of. And that's not what John is saying. John is saying the same thing about Judas as he might say about you and me. When we make a decision to do something we ought not to do. <laughs> In that moment, <laughs> Satan got into us. Not because Satan came to the door, kicked it in, and grabbed us by the neck. But because we opened the door and let Satan in. Come on in, Satan. Show me what you want me to do. That's all that happened to Judas. That's the very same thing that happens to you and me. Because no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this. Because Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling them to buy what was needed for the festival. Or to give something to the poor. Oh yeah, Jesus and, and Judas had that conversation about giving something to the poor, Jesus is probably telling him, go do that now. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. And it was night. And again, what's important for us to see from that is that nobody at the table other than Jesus knew what Judas was going to do and why he was leaving. To continue the account later, Matthew in the 26th chapter of his gospel tells us in the 47th verse the scene now being Jesus with the other 11 apostles in the garden at Gethsemane where he's gone to pray. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. And with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. The betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. 
And Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. From our perspective, living in the modern world, we might wonder, why, why do they even need Judas? Why did, they, why did they even need him to go and, and, and kiss Jesus so that they knew who he was? Well, unlike today, where if you want to know what somebody looks like, you pull your phone out of your pocket, and you Google their name, and you find a picture. And if they're well-known, lots of pictures. They didn't have Google in those days. They didn't have cell phones in those days. They didn't have photographs in those days. Many of the people who were coming to look for Jesus had heard about him, but had no idea what he looked like. Particularly in a garden where it was dark, not well lit, Somebody had to be the one, for no, if for no other reason, so they didn't get the wrong person. Because the penalties for making a false accusation were pretty great. They didn't want to be guilty of grabbing the wrong individual and taking him back only to find out, oh, that's not Jesus of Nazareth, that's Jesus from some other place. We got the wrong man. Somebody had to make a positive identification so that it was clear that they got the right person. And that's why they needed Judas. And of course we know the rest of the story. John shared some of it with us as we communed at the Lord's table this morning. Jesus was taken, was put through a mockery of a trial, was ultimately taken out and crucified. And then Matthew tells us in the 27th chapter and the third verse of his gospel that when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. And he took the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And he went away and hanged himself. We don't know, again, what Judas's motivation was. Although we have a pretty good, pretty good idea from the circumstances. But we don't know for sure. We don't know what Judas thought would happen when he planted that kiss on Jesus. We don't know what, 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 he was, what his anticipation was. Maybe he thought, 
that Jesus, using the power that he had, would destroy his enemies. Or escape, as Jesus had done on more than one occasion when a crowd surrounded him and he simply walked through them and left. Maybe that's what Judas thought would happen. Maybe Judas thought that, you know, they would bring Jesus in and they'd yell at him for a bit, issue him a fine and let him go. We don't know what Judas was thinking. But when he realized what was going to happen... It's clear that what did happen was not what he thought. Whatever it was, he was thinking. Because when he realized what they were going to do, he was horrified. And he didn't want the money anymore. He said, take, take this money back. I betrayed an innocent man. And they said, well, that's, that's on you. And Judas, unable to cope with the guilt, took his own life. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, Jesus had taught his disciples, doubtless, in the presence of Judas, because he was speaking to the twelve, when he gave this particular lesson. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up his, their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? We know what Judas gave for his soul, 30 pieces of silver. In those days, that was a lot of money. That's a pretty good chunk of change. And Judas sold his soul for those three pieces of silver, which in the end he didn't even want anyway. When he realized what the consequences were. When he understood the gravity of his actions. Thirty pieces of silver was the price of Judas's soul. We don't know what the negotiation was. Maybe they had offered him less and he, you know, counter-offered. <laughs> Maybe they offered 20 and he said, how about 40? And they met in the middle of 30. We don't know. But 30 was the price. He agreed to accept. And he not only sold Jesus for that 30 pieces of silver, but more importantly, he sold himself for that money. So we might ask, well, what's the point of this lesson? Why are we telling this story? Why are we reliving these bad memories? And particularly, because you all know I like to connect things, what does this have to do with last week's lesson? 
where we talked about gratitude being expressed in our actions. Well, Judas is a classic story of how ingratitude is expressed in action. Remember we talked last week about Jesus at one point endowing the apostles with miraculous abilities. He told them to go out, he said, heal the sick. Go out, he said, and cleanse the lepers. What we sometimes forget is that one of the 12 people who got that gift was Judas Iscariot. One of the 12 people in whom Jesus invested that miraculous power to heal was Judas Iscariot. Judas got the same gift that the others got. And it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. He needed that year's wages that Mary's perfume was worth. He needed that 30 pieces of silver that the chief priests offered. Judas had something precious beyond measure. Not just the miraculous gift of being able to heal the sick, but the even greater gift of being able to sit at the feet of the Son of God and hear his wisdom from his own lips. Judas had the greatest of gifts. And it wasn't enough. And the fact that he wasn't grateful for what he got ultimately led him to where he ended up. And how often, brothers and sisters, is that me or you? How often do we fail to look at the gifts that God has given us and say, it's just not enough, Lord. I want more. That we fail to be grateful for what we have and as a result we do things perhaps in pursuit of the more that the world holds out to us. And we find ourselves in places we shouldn't be. Doing things we shouldn't do. Because we don't appreciate with gratitude what we've already been given. So I have to ask myself the question, how often am I Judas Iscariot? How often do I place what I want before the will of the Lord?
How often is me getting more in my pocket, whatever that means in my particular situation, how often is me getting more of what I want more important than Jesus being glorified as he was by Mary's anointing? How often is me getting what I want more important than God getting what he wants? When it is, that's me in that story. How often do I complain? Lord, why are you letting this be wasted? When God has a plan that's different from what I want. How often do I complain when God has a direction for me or for my life or for the things that I have that do doesn't compute with what I want to do with me and what I, what I have? How often do I say, ah, oh, Lord, that'd be a waste to do that? When I have those thoughts, I'm Judas. Matthew said he watched for an opportunity to betray the Lord. How often do I watch for an opportunity to do what I want to do regardless of what the consequences are. How often do I watch for an opportunity to get what I want with complete disregard for what God wants for me? When that happens, I'm Judas. How willing am I to sell my soul as cheaply as Judas sold his. Because 30 pieces of silver might have been a lot of money, but what did Jesus say? What if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? How willing am I to sell my soul to get what I want from a worldly perspective rather than focusing on what God wants for me? from a spiritual perspective. So as we continue those thoughts from last week and thinking about being grateful for what God has given us and letting that gratitude empower our actions, let's also look at the flip side of that. What happens when I'm not grateful for what God has given me and for what he's done and is doing for me? to the degree that I should be. That's when my actions carry me into places I shouldn't go to do things I shouldn't do. It's in those moments that I become Judas Iscariot and betray my Lord. And if I can find myself in that story, I'd be very surprised if you can't find yourself in it too. Because we're all Judas in that respect. Think about that this week as you go about your activities of life. Look at the things that God has placed in your hand and be grateful 
for what you have to the degree that you don't feel like i got to have more. But rather, what can I do with what God's already given me? How grateful am I for what God has put in my hand and what action can I take to demonstrate that gratitude? Whether that means using what I have to feed the poor, as Judah suggested. Or finding other opportunities to serve and to love and to give and to uplift. Because if I really am thankful for what God's given me, unlike Judas, who just wanted more, then that's what I'll do. And I hope you'll watch for an opportunity this week to show your gratitude to the Lord by doing good in his name.